0: Isn't it a privilege to worship together? And you know, worshiping together isn't just the songs that we sing together. It's not just the prayers that we pray together, but as we open God's word together and ask God to open our hearts, our ears, so that we hear, uh, we believe, we obey the things that God has spoken in his word. And later on in this service, we're going to be celebrating the Lord's Supper, another way that we worship together. Uh, as a community. This whole service is an act of worship to God. Amen? Amen. Amen. As Pastor Michael mentioned, this evening we're starting a new sermon series, uh, Unsung Heroes, walking through the lesser-known characters in the Bible. And I think it's only fitting that we begin the series with a character from the beginning of the Bible. And so we're going we're gonna to look tonight at the life of Abel. And we find the story of Abel and his brother Cain in Genesis chapter 4. Now, as I started preparing for this sermon, I actually ran into Pastor Lutzer. So naturally, I asked him if he had any advice on preaching on the life of Abel, right? And I was hoping for some deep, brilliant insight that would enable me to preach with power and conviction, right? But Pastor Lutzer simply said this, you have to tell my joke. (laughs) I said, oh, okay, what joke? And he said, people always ask me, where did Cain get his wife? And I just say, I would tell you if I were able. (laughs) Mm. So Pastor Lutzer, if you ever watched this sermon, I told your joke. (laughs) Actually, we went on to have a conversation about whether Abel would have been able to tell us about Cain's wife, because as we'll soon discover, Abel might not have been around long enough to answer that question. But in any case... Many people have at least heard the story of Cain and Abel, but we want to take a closer look this evening and ask a couple of questions. Who was Abel, and what is the significance of his life? We're going to find that Abel lived a life of faith, and a life of faith is a God-centered life. A life of faith is a God-centered life. It's a life that looks to God for both justice and mercy. Now, the account of Abel is found in Genesis chapter four, so if you have your Bibles with you this evening, I invite you to turn there. Um, You'll also find the words printed in your bulletin. And as we read, we're gonna discover three portraits of faith, three portraits of faith, three ways that Abel's life and his death cry out for the justice and the mercy of God, three ways that Abel is a hero of faith. Now, but first, we must set the context for this account in Genesis four. And if you remember, in the first two chapters of Genesis, God creates the entire world, and he speaks everything into existence with words, with powerful words. And at the culmination of creation, he makes the first human beings, Adam and Eve, made in God's image, and he places them in a beautiful Garden of Eden and gives them responsibility for the whole earth. And everything is beautiful, and everything is good but Adam and Eve rebel against God as their creator, and in Genesis chapter 3, we find the entrance of sin into the world, and everything beautiful is defaced, and everything that is good is corrupted. And a long winter night of sin and death begins. But, Even as Adam and Eve begin their life outside the garden, God gives them a word of hope. And in Genesis 3.15, we find the first glimpse of the gospel, the first glimpse of the good news. And this is important. Listen, God promises that one day a child of Eve will come and will crush the evil that has broken everything in the world. And so that brings us to our passage today, Genesis chapter 4, and this is where we find the account of Cain and Abel. Now the background for the story is found in the first two verses, so look with me, Genesis 4, verse 1. Now Adam knew Eve his wife, and she conceived and bore Cain, saying, I have gotten a man with the help of the Lord. And again she bore his brother Abel. Now Abel was a keeper of sheep, and Cain a worker of the ground. Now, in these two verses, we find that Adam knew his wife, and this is a figure of speech. It means that Adam and Eve were intimate and Cain was born. And then Eve says, I have gotten a man with the help of the Lord, referring to Cain's birth. Now, perhaps she remembered the promise that a child of Eve would crush the evil in the world. And perhaps she wondered, was Cain that child? Perhaps she had high hopes that they could all return to the Garden of Eden and that everything wouldn't be quite so hard. Eve gives birth to another son, Abel, and we find that Abel becomes a shepherd and Cain farms the land. So here's what we know about Abel so far. His parents are Adam and Eve, the first human beings. He has an older brother named Cain, and he raises sheep. With this context, Genesis 4 gives us these three portraits of Abel's life. First, Abel sacrifices. Abel sacrifices. He brings an offering of worship to God. We pick up the account in verse 3. In the course of time, Cain brought to the Lord an offering of the fruit of the ground, and Abel also brought of the firstborn of his flock and of their fat portions. And the Lord had regard for Abel and his offering, but for Cain and his offering he had no regard. So Cain was very angry and his face fell. The Lord said to Cain, why are you angry? And why has your face fallen? If you do well, will you not be accepted? And if you do not do well, sin is crouching at the door. Its desire is contrary to you, but you must rule over it. So four things happen in these verses. First, Cain and Abel bring offerings to God. Second, God accepts Abel's offering, but he rejects Cain's offering. Third, Cain becomes very angry. And then God challenges Cain to do what is right, and he warns him about the consequences of doing what is wrong. Now, one of the big questions you might have as we read these verses is about God's response. It's certainly a question that I had. Why did God accept Abel's offering but reject Cain's offering? It's important for us to think carefully about this because the way we answer this question reveals the way that we think about God. Was God treating Cain rightly when he rejected his offering or was he just nitpicking? Was God showing favoritism toward Abel? In short, can we trust that God is good as he relates to us as human beings? Now, there have been many different interpretations of why God accepted Abel's offering and rejected Cain's including the suggestion that God prefers shepherds to gardeners. That one seems to be a bit of a stretch, right? But a better interpretation is that the difference between Cain and Abel was faith. Abel lived in faith, Cain did not, and this is the reason that God accepted Abel's offering and rejected Cain's. In fact, if we jump forward to the New Testament, we find that faith played a crucial role in Abel's offering, Uh, In Hebrews chapter 11, that famous chapter about faith, Abel is the first person mentioned as a hero of faith. Uh, This passage is also printed in your bulletin down at the bottom. Uh, So let's look at Hebrews chapter 11, verse 4. By faith, Abel offered to God a more acceptable sacrifice than Cain, through which he was commended as righteous, God commending him by accepting his gifts. And then look a couple verses down, Hebrews 11, verse 6. Without faith, it is impossible to please God. For whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. So clearly there was a difference of faith between Cain and Abel. This interpretation is true. But this difference of faith resulted in a difference between the two offerings as well. And so the question is, what was that difference? One view argues that the difference um, is that God approved of Abel's offering, rejected Cain's because Abel brought an animal and Cain brought vegetables. Abel's offering was a blood sacrifice, Cain's was plants, right? Now in light of the rest of the Bible, this would seem to make sense. Romans tells us the wages of sin is death. So when people brought the animal sacrifice, the animal died in their place so their sins could be forgiven. Hebrews says without the shedding of blood, there's no forgiveness. So we, we see that from the rest of scripture. So this seems like a plausible interpretation. However, there's a problem. If we read Genesis 4 carefully, the word sacrifice isn't used. The word that's used is the word offering. If you go back and read through that, only the word offering is used. And this same word is later used for the Israelites bringing their gifts to God, the grain offerings. It's it's a tribute, it's a gift, it's an offering to God. And vegetables were not prohibited so if that wasn't the difference, what is the difference between these two offerings? I think a better interpretation pays close attention to the description of these offerings in Genesis 4. So let's, let's look at this carefully. Look at verses 3 and 4 and notice the contrast. In the course of time, Cain brought to the Lord an offering of the fruit of the ground. Let's stop here for a second. If this were all the information we'd had we would think positively of Cain's offering, right? He's bringing something to God. But the contrast is drawn when we read the description of Abel's offering. Look at verse four. And Abel also brought of the firstborn of his flock and of their fat portions. In other words, Cain simply brings an offering, not the first fruits, not the best of his produce and grain. He brings an offering. Abel, on the other hand, brings fat portions from the firstborn of his flock. Abel brings his best. And he brought his best because he was living a life of faith. And a life of faith is a God-centered life. Cain's offering was a mere token. From a human perspective, it might have seemed acceptable. But although man looks at the outward appearance, the Lord looks at... The heart, that's right. Cain's offering was a token. Abel's offering was an act of worship. He knew he needed God, and his offering demonstrated that he was dependent on God's mercy and grace. He was looking forward to the fulfillment of that promise to Adam and Eve that one day the power of evil would be broken, and in faith he lived a God-centered life. In gratitude, he brought his best." Now, what about us? What about you and me? Do we give God token allegiance, like Cain? Or do we give him our best, like Abel? Do we live a God-centered life of faith or a self-centered life of unbelief? How do we use our time, our talents, our treasure? If someone observed how I used my time and my talents, how you used your time and your talents, what would they conclude about your life? What would they say you are living for? Who would they say you are living for? What about our treasure? Not just what we possess, but what we treasure. What gives you a reason to get up in the morning? What captures your imagination? Who do you love? What do you treasure? If someone could see your time, your talents, and your treasure, would they see a God-centered life of faith or a self-centered life? Now, a couple weeks ago, Pastor Michael talked about the danger of self-deception. Each one of us is prone to think of ourselves better than we are. We could even look at our time, our talents, and our treasure and think we are living a God-centered life. We could come up with a list of the ways that we are serving God and our heart could still be far from him. It's possible to think that we're living like Abel, but to actually have the heart of Cain. The bad news is that since Adam and Eve, all of us naturally live selfishly. We naturally live for ourselves. But here's the good news. Abel, while he is an example of someone who gave his best. His life points forward to the one who always, always gave his best, to the one who always lived a God-centered life of faith with his time, his talents, and his treasure. Abel's offering points forward to Jesus Christ, the only one who, through the eternal spirit, offered himself without blemish to God. Jesus is the human being who gave his best to God. Jesus is the God who gave his best to human beings. Jesus gave himself to God. Jesus gave himself to us. Jesus gave himself for us. Abel's sacrifice foreshadows the perfect sacrifice of Jesus Christ. But Abel's sacrifice was not his only portrait of faith. Abel's sacrifice is yes, but number two Abel also suffers. Abel suffers. Look with me back at Genesis chapter 4, and we're going to start in verse 8. And I want to warn you that this passage gets very dark very quickly. Genesis 4, verse 8. Cain spoke to his brother, and when they were in the field, Cain rose up against his brother Abel and killed him. Then the Lord said to Cain, where is Abel, your brother? He said, I do not know. Am I my brother's keeper? Away from the ground, and from your face I shall be hidden. I shall be a fugitive and a wanderer on the earth, and whoever finds me will kill me. And the Lord said to him, Not so. If anyone kills Cain, vengeance shall be taken on him sevenfold. And the Lord put a mark on Cain, lest any who found him should attack him. Then Cain went away from the presence of the Lord and settled in the land of Nod, east of Eden." I want to point out a couple things about Cain in this passage before we turn to Abel. First, after Cain kills his brother, God speaks to him and says, where is Abel, your brother? And notice Cain's response. He directly lies. I don't know. And then he gives a smart aleck response to God. Am am I my brother's keeper? He seems uh, annoyed that God would even ask him the question. And second, Cain's heart is so hard that when God declares his judgment, he still thinks only of himself. Oh, my punishment is going to be so hard, God, and someone might even kill me. The irony of this complaint is astounding, right? Cain has just, what, murdered his brother, and he's worried about the potential of someone doing to him what he just did. He shows no remorse, no regret, no repentance. Instead, he continues in his self-absorbed waves, and he goes off to wander. Cain's life is a warning. But you know what's even worse? Cain was the child of Eve. Do you remember God's promise that a child of Eve would crush the evil one? In this strange twist, the child of Eve takes the side of evil and makes things even worse. Look at 1 John 3, verse 12. We read this. We should not be like Cain, who was of the evil one and murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? Because his own deeds were evil and his brother's righteous. Cain's evil life is a warning to us. But notice what this verse says about Abel. He was murdered because his deeds were what? Righteous righteous. In the passage that Pastor Michael preached on a couple weeks ago, Jesus himself spoke of the blood of righteous Abel. In other words, Abel suffered for doing what was right. He was treated unjustly, though he was living a God-centered life, though he had done nothing wrong. Now, how about you? Have you ever suffered unjustly? Have you ever suffered for doing what is right? Now, it's important for us to keep a proper perspective because we do have brothers and sisters in Christ all around the world who are suffering and even being killed for the sake of Christ. I read a book titled Captive in Iran, which tells the story of two young women who came to faith in Christ, and they began passing out Bibles in Tehran, the capital of of Iran, and as a result, they spent months in a notorious prison for their faith. Now, most of us in this room haven't suffered to that degree, Some some may have, um, but most of us haven't. However, have you ever lost a job for being honest or been mocked because you're a Christian or maybe been marginalized when you told someone about Jesus? How did you respond? Were you shocked or sad or angry? Did you respond with faith or with fear? Have you ever suffered for the sake of righteousness? Abel did. He was paid back evil for good. He was an innocent victim who suffered because of someone else's sin. But wait a second. What does that remind you of? Who else suffered because of someone else's sin? Who else was killed because others were evil and he was righteous? While Abel is an example of righteous suffering, his life points forward to the only one who was always righteous and who was crucified at the hands of wicked men. When Jesus hung on the cross, two thieves were crucified next to him, and one said to the other, we are getting what our deeds deserve, but this man, Jesus, has done nothing wrong. Jesus suffered because of someone else's sin. Jesus suffered because of your sin and mine. He was an innocent victim, yes, but Jesus was so much more than an innocent victim. Abel didn't know he was going to die. Jesus predicted his death. Abel didn't know when he went out to that field that he was going to be murdered, but Jesus set his face toward Jerusalem, knowing exactly what was going to happen to him. Abel died because Cain, in sin, wanted to take away his life. But Jesus died because he wanted to take away sin. The Bible says, Christ suffered for sins once for all, the righteous for the unrighteous, to bring us to God. Abel's suffering foreshadows the righteous suffering of Jesus. But Abel's sacrifice and his suffering are not his only portraits of faith. Abel sacrifices, Abel suffers, and number three, Abel also speaks. Abel speaks. Now, it's very interesting to note the Bible doesn't record Abel as saying anything. God and Cain do all the talking, but Abel doesn't say a word. Abel is wordless, but he is not silent. No, Abel speaks, and we hear his voice in two ways. First, let's go back to Genesis 4, when God speaks to Cain right after Abel's murder. Look with me at verse 10. And the Lord said, what have you done? The voice of your brother's blood is crying to me from the ground. Abel's blood is personified as having a voice, crying out to God. And what does this voice cry out for? It cries out for justice, right? It cries out for God in his righteousness to set things right. And that cry for justice was heard because God is just. And God's justice is meticulous, exhaustive. It is perfect. It is good. Abel's cry was heard. But Abel also speaks in a second way, and we find this back in Hebrews chapter 11 at the bottom of your bulletin. Look with me at how Abel's voice is described. By faith, Abel offered to God a more acceptable sacrifice than Cain, through which he was commended as righteous, God commending him by accepting his gifts. And notice this, and through his faith, though he died, He still speaks. He still speaks. Abel's voice is a voice of faith, trusting in the word of God and looking forward in faith to the fulfillment of God's promise. Abel's faith was God-centered. God would have mercy on him and on all humanity. God would send a child of Eve to crush the evil east of Eden. And to deliver all of humanity from their sin. And although Abel is dead, through his faith, he still speaks today. Now, what about us? How do our lives speak? When people listen to the voice of your life, what do they hear? Do they hear the voice of God's promise and faith in God's promise? Or does some other voice drown that out? Perhaps... It's the voice of fear and anxiety. Or perhaps it's the voice of cynicism and anger. Or the voice of self-reliance, self-righteousness, even self-salvation. If you're like me, these voices are always competing for dominance in our lives. And sometimes they shout very loudly. But here is the good news. While Abel is an example of someone who speaks in faith, His life points forward to the only one who always spoke in faith, to the only one who always lived a God-centered life, trusting in the goodness of God. Abel's faith points forward to the life, to the death, and to the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Why? Because Jesus actually fulfilled what Abel was looking for in faith. Jesus was the only child of Eve who refused to take the side of evil. And therefore, he was the only child of Eve who had the power to crush that evil and bring humanity back to God. In fact, Hebrews 12, 24 says it this way. We have come to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant, and to the sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Of Abel. Abel's blood cried out for God's what? Justice. Abel's blood cried out for God's justice, and yet there's one who speaks better. Jesus' blood speaks that better word. How? Well, Jesus satisfied the justice of God, He paid the penalty for our sins, and His blood cries out not only for justice, but also for mercy. The hymn writer Charles Wesley once penned these words about Jesus on the cross. And listen carefully. Five bleeding wounds he bears received on Calvary. They pour effectual prayers. They strongly speak for me. Forgive him, oh forgive, they cry, nor let that ransomed sinner die. Both the sacrifice and the suffering of Abel speak of the Christ whose sacrifice and suffering speak that better word. Now, some of you here this evening might be searching for God, and if so, we're really glad that you've joined us at the start of this series on the unsung heroes of the Bible. And if you're searching for God, then there's something I need to clarify. Hearing the story of Abel can give you a great example to follow, but it can't give you the power to follow it. You won't be able to earn God's favor by trying hard to be like Abel. Why? All of us have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. These three portraits of Abel's faith might inspire you, but they can't give you faith. They can't bring you close to God. Only Jesus can do that. So what we need is a portrait of Jesus. These portraits of Abel tell you what you must do for God, but the portrait of Jesus tells you what God has already done for you. The bad news is that you and I can't earn our way back to God. We deserve God's judgment because of our rebellion against him. But the good news is, God knows you can't earn your way back to God. So he came to you in the person of Jesus Christ. Jesus lived the perfect life that we were supposed to live. And he died the death that we deserve to die. And then he rose from the the dead, declaring his victory over sin and death, so that you and I would be restored to God forever. Jesus is the child of Eve who crushed the power of evil. And in light of this portrait of Jesus, this portrait of God's undeserved love to undeserving people, God calls you and he calls me to turn away from sin and to trust in Jesus as the only one who can make us right with God. He calls us to repent and to believe. Now, a group of people once asked Jesus what they should be doing to obey God, and Jesus answered them with these words, this is the work of God that you believe in the one he has sent. If you're here today seeking God, and you wonder what you need to do to be right with God, then look at the portrait of God's love for you in Jesus. And in light of that portrait, turn away from sin and trust in Jesus. Now, for others of you this evening, you have already believed in Jesus, perhaps for many years. So what do these portraits of Abel's faith say to you? Well, first, they actually say the same thing. Hearing this example of Abel's life is great, but it can't give you the power to follow it. The power to follow Abel's example comes only from God's Spirit who is given to those who trust in Jesus. But second, what about our motivations? Why should we want to follow Abel's example of sacrifice and suffering? Why should we want to live a life that speaks in faith? Well, the Bible says we love because he first loved us. Our motivation to love and to obey God should come not from fear, but from gratitude. God loved us when we were his enemies. God shows his love for us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. God loved us first. And so the sacrifices we bring to God are never, never to earn God's favor, but rather to express our gratitude for the favor he has already shown to us in Jesus Christ. Our sacrifices, our offerings, are always a response to God's grace. Hebrews thirteen fifteen says this, through him, through Jesus, let us continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to God. We sang about that earlier this evening. Our lives and this entire worship service are meant to be a sacrifice of praise to God. But what about suffering? If you're like me, you don't enjoy suffering. And neither did Abel, and neither did Jesus. So how does Abel's example of suffering apply to us today? Well, when Abel suffered, he cried out to whom? To God for justice, right? And when Jesus suffered, he entrusted himself to him who judges justly. But we find it hard to do this. In fact, we're often surprised When we face suffering, we think, I shouldn't have to go through this. Why is God allowing this? And we begin to question God's goodness. We begin to doubt God's love. And as a result, we often waste our sufferings. But God has a bigger purpose in mind. One pastor said it this way, Jesus did not suffer for us so that we would not suffer. He suffered for us so that when we suffer, we become like him. Don't waste your sufferings and trust yourself to him who judges justly and who is always working for your good. And finally, what about speaking? Abel speaks in faith, so how should that influence us? As those who have received the love of God through Jesus, we should want to tell others, and we should want our lives to point people to Jesus and the good news, the gospel of his sacrifice on our behalf. But here's the reality. People will only see Jesus through you If you actually see Jesus, people will only hear Jesus through you. If you actually hear Jesus. And this is why we need to preach the gospel, the good news to ourselves every single day. If you ever think the gospel of God's grace is something that you graduate from. So you move on to bigger and better things. People won't see Jesus through you. They'll only see you doing you. Do you want to live a God-centered life of faith that speaks like Abel? Then look to Jesus, the author and perfecter of faith. So yes, we should be like Abel and look to Jesus. And as we do, we will bring the right sacrifice. We will suffer well. And our lives will speak. They will speak with a voice of faith in the God who loves us so much that he sacrificed and he suffered us. Will you join me as we pray? Gracious Father, we thank you for your love. We thank you that you loved us first. And because of your love, we love because you first loved us. We thank you for the sacrifice and the suffering and the speaking of Abel And how it points us to the sacrifice and the suffering and the speaking, the better words of Jesus. Father, may our lives live in light of Christ's sacrifice for us. And may we offer up our praise to you in gratitude for what you have done for us. We pray all of these things in Jesus' name. Amen.